outside the box, providing a platform for opinions and perspectives not often heard in the mainstream media. For this episode, I'm going to play you a conversation I had with Jeff Fio Liskas. He's a writer, and I guess I would describe his writing as prose, very personal. It's very dark, deal, sometimes deals with depression and also some experiences he's had in his own life. And I... I became familiar with his writing through Facebook, but I knew him because I originally met him a few years ago when I did an article on and a podcast related to the Thursday night punk rock nights at Auto Shrunken Head. And I interviewed DJ Pat Pervert, who's also, I mean, his real name is Pasquale Santoro. And Thursday nights, he does this punk rock themed DJ set at Auto Shrunken Head in Alphabet City in New York, New York. And I actually, Jeff was in my article I wrote about the punk rock night, but I didn't men- I didn't know his name at the time, so I, I, I mentioned, I quoted him in it, but I didn't mention his name. And in the article he talked about being a skinhead, but not a racist skinhead. And a lot of people, when they think of skinheads, they think of the far right. But originally, it was a working class, a movement that was just about working class pride, and it was apolitical, and it was racially inclusive. As time went on, the far right started, I guess the only time it was ever in the news when there was these violent far right groups who identified as skinheads, and then there were groups like Sharp, which is Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice. But I don't want to give too much away about that, because he describes that in detail in the interview. And anyway, here's the conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So, so how did how did you uh, like? I I want to get into your writing, but I also want to ask like like how did you uh, become like in it like uh, exposed to like the skinhead movement and what and for people who are unfamiliar, like what what is that exactly? Like I know a, like a lot of people like they they would when they hear skinhead they think of like you know like the the neo Nazi skinheads and all that. Uh, uh, and not, a lot right. of people now I don't think know about like the non racist skinheads that came first it was more just like a working class movement as far as my exposure to it i I actually didn't get exposed to it in the states i got exposed to it in in guatemala which is where my parents are from and uh i went to guatemala shortly after the civil war and um in guatemala there's you know there's they have jamaican immigrants and and especially where my mom the, the city where my mom is from shellac as I spent a lot of my time. And so they're Latin American in general, subcultures and music is huge. And that's where I got into it. I got it, but I was exposed to the music, to, to, to skinhead reggae. And then I noticed how some of my cousin's friends had short cropped hair and they, they kind of looked like American preppy boys, but they had these like, you know, combat boots. And I thought they looked kind of cool, you know, and then I enjoyed the music. And then I was only 15 at the time. And when you're 15, you know, you're trying to discover yourself. I remember I went, when I was 15, I went through a fucking Jim Morrison phase. 
<laughs> you know, where I would wear fake leather pants and walk around with a with a book of Jim Morrison poems, you know. And um, and I was also really into hip hop and break dancing and stuff. But when I went to Guatemala, I was exposed not only to just that subculture, but to the realities of what working class is compared to a, a United States working class or English working class to a third world working class where these where skinheads or punks or metalheads there it's they can put their, their lives are in danger because it's more common that they join street gangs or stuff like that but instead they rebel by finding subcultures but then I went to a like I said they played a lot of reggae out in Guatemala and it was a lot of classic reggae and um, I remember walking with my cousin down them. I, I, you know, my memory is very, it's been so long, but there was a, a little outdoor reggae sound party. They had these speakers and the DJs were, you know, reggae guys, were, were Jamaicans. And then you see, you see these like guys with shaved heads, no shirts on with, with braces and skinhead tattooed, not very well. And then, you know, when you come back to the States, you're like, oh, it's, you know, it's different in the States here. It's more, it was more, it looked very more militant, kind of like in the early hardcore scenes where skins wore camouflage pants and the 20 lit boots and stuff like that. And unfortunately, when I came back to the States, I think that movie, uh, American History X came out. And so that completely changed, you know, everyone's, opinion of what that movement was but for me it wasn't like that and um the uh skinheads i met coming back to the states the ones in new york the ones in houston the ones in from mexico um i never viewed them they had no political opinion really so they educated me more into what it was because before that i also saw them saw it as a the far right movement. Um, it wasn't really a problem. Um, and then around 2003, four, that you know, the internet, you know, became more. You know, everybody was exposed to it, and then you did all these websites. I mean, there used to be a, a website called American Skinhead, and you read these beautiful articles written. I don't remember by who about the New York scene and Bowery and stuff like that, and and how in, in America it started in New York. And then you would read more about the SHARP movement, the acronym Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice. And which was when I was in my late teens, that was becoming more of a thing. You started seeing uh, flyers for them everywhere. And then in the eighties, I think late eighties, Roddy Moreno from the oppressed, the Oi Skinhead band from England played in New York, he saw a flyer and was so inspired by it that he took it to England and it, there it's, the sharp movement's huge. But for me, like I, I just, um, as I got older and, you know, you know, I've always identified with my working class heritage, my pride of working class, you know, uh, my parents' working class, you know, and their, my immigrant upbringing, you know, was very important to me. And I always saw skinheads as, um, I guess, like a brotherhood or people who are always there for you. As where I love punks, 
goths, but there was always an attitude problem with that, where punks were constantly asking big punk. No one's more punk than that one punk you talk to. Um, no one, you know, if you talk to a goth, they're, they, they're not goth. They just like to wear black and listen to goth rock. When you talk, when you talk to skins, it's, it's either, hey, dude, let me buy you a beer. Or sometimes there is that attitude. I mean, there is toughness to it. Let's get that. You know, that's, there's also a violent tendency towards it. But they were always the ones that just didn't really give a fuck. So you you're know, saying what, that you think they were less about fitting an, fitting an image than... Yeah, exactly. It, it just didn't matter. It was, you know, and at least then, I mean, I can't speak for not what it's like now. I mean, now there's definitely, it's, it's it seems more fashion-based, you know, and it's, um, back then, I remember when, when, you couldn't even afford a Fred Perry, you know, so when you met a skinhead who had one, you were like, holy shit, like, how many, how many hours of work did you put in for that, you know? Or, like, to see somebody with, like, like, even the Ben Sherman, you know, it was, it was very rare. And, and back then, like, you had to go online to order it, and it was more expensive and stuff like that. For me, it, it was more about, you know, just the attitude, the, you know, the boots, of course, and just, you know, sticking together. It's a, like every tribe has that. Hmm. Every tribe has that. When I lived in Houston, that was my, my favorite as far as like where scenes are because we all, everyone got along. It didn't matter what you were. You would go to a, a, a punk show, a punk party, a punk rocker who was having a party. There were skinheads, there were metalheads, there were goths, your occasional crusty here and there, but it, it didn't really matter what the fuck you were or even people who didn't like it or know anything about it. We all just hung out and had fun. And that's all it was about. And then when you're young, it's, it's great. It's a great way to, you know, we all need to have that kind of, because this, you know, society's boring at best, you know, and when, you, when you're a teenager, you know, you're, there's only certain things you can get into. And I always found, like, for example, in high school, I, I, it's limited to friendships. I didn't have many friends. I read a lot. You know, books and music was were my friends. That was my my, my thing. I used to go to a Barnes and Noble every weekend just to read. And I used to go to record shops all the time. And you know, you have you know in high school, there's all these different classes of, of tribes. You have the jocks. You have the preppies, you have the thug kids, the cholos, which, you know, and then you had like the immigrant kids that no one accepted. And then you had the stoners and the skaters and they all got along and I kind of went towards them more because I felt that I understood them more, but in reality, I didn't like it. And um, they were, you know, to them it was all about smoking pot and listening to Led Zeppelin. I didn't like it. I forced myself to kind of like it, but deep down I knew there was something that about it that wasn't me. And then um, when I was 16, I, I, you know, like I said, I was a big fan of The Doors. And it was, it was more, not even just their music, but um, the poetry. 
of Jim Morrison, which now I probably, I don't think I'll, I like it as much as I discovered more and more poets, especially American poets. But um, that was a big thing for me. And then through that, I discovered uh, the Velvet Underground. And um, there was this PBS show I used to watch about rock and roll subcultures. And they talked about the first like out there bands and the segment was on, on the doors, which I already knew about the velvet underground, which I wasn't really familiar with Iggy pop and David Bowie. And I was blown away by what the velvet underground were doing. So when high school, I would, would do my research. I'd go to school. I typed in velvet underground Lou Reed, and then it sent you to a link about Iggy pop. And that link would send you to a, the Ramones and this and that. So like, I, that's where I, I identified myself. I remember telling a friend of mine that I had, who was my neighbor. And every time I found some kind of type of music, I would share it with him. And I remember it's like, dude, I don't think we're stoners. Cause we're not, you know, we don't, we don't smoke pot, we drink beer. You know, and I was like, I think we're called punks. And through that, I got into uh, more American writers, especially uh, the Beats. And um, I've always written, and I've always liked how the style of how punks were writing. I love that, you know, that kind of attitude they had towards conformity. And then when Oi, I enjoyed more. I related with it more because it was more talking about working. You're working, not making money. You know, the money you make, you spend on your boots. The money you make, you spend on the drinking with your friends and soccer. And, you know, I grew up with, with that. So I just went more towards that. And then as I got older, I learned more and more where it came from, from England in the 60s, from the Jamaican immigrants moving to, to England and then the mods who were inspired by the music and the image that the, these Jamaicans were bringing to their country and to their scene. And I just, it's very fascinating. But it's also upsetting how it just became bastardized into one label of, of politics. Yeah, and have you ever had people, like when you say you were a skinhead, assume you meant that you were a racist or something like that? Uh, yes, yes, uh, especially in the past four years. Uh, yes, I've, um, I've, always, I've, I've, almost lost, I've almost lost jobs because of um my tattoos i i've uh, i've had um let me see there was this one incident i had where i was i was asked to leave a bar because i, I went in in boots and braces and i went in with a group of my friends who you know they were you know artists you know and the, the bartender refused to serve me um I've had I've had people who thought I was a Nazi and and they were far right. I've had I've had incidents where I was working at the bar, especially nowadays with what's going on politically, thinking I was a, a member of the Proud Boys and they they give me a handshake doing their little Proud Boy thing and I tell them to fuck off. You know? <laughs> I remember I was I was at a bar once where I met a good friend of mine, her boyfriend. I've never met him, and when I met him. The first thing he did was give me a, a, a Hitler salute. And I was very offended by it. You know, um, I've been on dates where I, where 
girls would ask what's with the tats and I explained it to them and I would never hear back from them again. But, <laughs> but it comes with the territory, man. It, it's, that's, that's how, that's what it is, dude. It comes with the territory and you can you either can have a sit down and explain it for an hour or you can just be very nice and generous to them and, or be very like, you know, an intellect about it. Or sometimes you can just be like, fuck off. So how did the interest in reading and writing start? Uh, the interest in reading um, and writing came as, I always had a fascination with, beer, with, with books. And uh, the first poet I got into was Shel Silverstein. As a kid, I thought he was amazing. And um, so I would write little poems and stuff like that. And then um, I read this, um, it was like an essay about Martin Luther King Jr. So I bought a book on about him and I thought it was powerful. You know, even though I was very young, um, I thought what his message of, you know, said, you know, King and all that was very powerful. So I, I, was, I saw him at that age as, a, as an influence. And then um, I got into Stephen King when I was nine. The first book I read was Cujo. And then I read Pet Cemetery, and then it. By the time I was ten years old, I was already reading adult novels and stuff like that. And um, it just went on from there, from then music, and then getting into the American writers and and the beats and stuff like that. But um, I was you know, very fortunate because um, you know I used to read the newspapers all the time as a kid. I kind of taught myself how to read. So, but um, yeah, there was something about Shel. So remember it. How much his, his poems were so simple, but so fascinating, and the artwork as well. And then, like, reading that essay on Dr. Martin Luther King was—it's still in my head. You know, I was only like six, I think. I'm 36 now, so it was—it had an impact. I, I don't remember what the essay was. I just remember owning it and reading it, and then Stephen King somehow came to my life. You know, I think when you're a, when you're those introverted young kids and you're into horror films and comic books, there's somehow Stephen King kind of becomes a part of that, you know. And um, so yeah, those were my early influences. And not only that, but like comic books, you know, whatever Stan Lee wrote, um, even articles from um, like Playboy, for example were interesting to read as a child, which is you'd rather look at the women and which I did, <laughs> but like you have articles in there that were pretty good. And, um, but yeah, those are my early influences as a writer, as a young age, at least. So. Yeah. And I guess, would you describe your writing as prose? Cause I, I, I read it and I, I guess that was more like, I guess the style I would say, or more, uh, certainly like more direct, I guess is what I say, like not, not like a lot of metaphors, but more just like describing like your experiences and uh, like kind of short passages. That's what, that's why at least I've seen of your writing. Right. You know, it's true. It's definitely direct. Um, you could call it prose. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to explain it because I remember when I, I, I didn't really get into poetry or really take into it until my late twenties when um when i used to bartend i used to bartend in the west village 
and it was like Monday, you know, no one ever drinks, but I was, apparently I'm a good storyteller. So there was this, this woman used to come in every Monday and we would talk and I would tell her all stories about my life. And she was like, you should, you should write these down. They're, they're pretty interesting. And she was not, not the first person to do that. And then once I met someone from France who after meeting her just really inspired me. It's like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this very seriously. Because like in my mid twenties to my late twenties, I would, you know, would have like a, a, something in my head that I liked and I would write it down and just like put it in a, in a shelf or something like that. And then when I was, uh, how old was I? 24, uh, I saw Teenage Jesus and the Jerks at um, the Knitting Factory, uh, which is a big, I love that. I love Lydia Lund. She's a huge inspiration for me as a writer. So after seeing that, me and the friends I had at the time were like, let's start a no wave band. So I started writing all these shitty kind of crappy songs. And, but then I, I saved some of what I thought sounded good. And then when I got older, I, I just said, fuck it. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to express myself. And it was also a great way to express to, it's therapeutic because, you know, at the time, you know, not, not everyone's a hundred percent mentally. So when you can write down how you're feeling, instead of talking to someone about it, I, always, I think that's a little better way. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know how. I guess you could say it's direct. I guess you could. I mean, it's it's modern. There's a lot of New York in it. You know, New York is definitely an inspiration. There's a lot of uh, mental health in it. Um, there's a lot of you know like substance abuse in it, and but there's also love in it. There's reality in it, and that's the only. That's not. I I wouldn't know how to describe it. Really. So, so what is been like some of your most meaningful pieces or what are ones that you've written that, that have like really stuck with you oh um i think that the one poem i wrote there's 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 a couple that that's really stuck to me they're the ones i usually do i perform when i when i recite which you know unfortunately there's a poem I wrote called Bellevue Blues. And it was about my experience there. And that's always been kind of like an inspiration. And just to clarify for the listeners, when you say Bellevue, you're referring to Bellevue Hospital in New York, right? The famous public hospital is one of the oldest public hospitals and has been used in literature and TV. And a lot of people go there for mental health services right right and um the, the poem is just talking about someone who's you know you think you're crazy and then you see people that are far more psychotic than you are but you feel for them but you also feel that you are one of them you know you feel that sense of um insanity and that mental that mental state you're in but when i wrote that poem i i performed it um i think it was 2013 at there's this bar called old man hustle i don't know if you're familiar with it i haven't i haven't heard of it it's in the lower east side it's a very small bar and it's a it's a comedy bar now but they have a little stage and they had an open mic thing and Reverend Jen was having 
I think it was her birthday party or something. So what she used to do was she would um, do anti-slams, which there's a lot of slam poetry, which I, I, I personally don't like slam poetry. I think poetry should be heard, not scored. So she had this anti-slam and a friend of mine asked if I wanted to do a, a poem for it. And it was last minute and I didn't know what, what poem to write. And I was like, oh, I just wrote a poem called Kobe Blues. So wrote it down and you know, didn't have time to memorize it. So I go to this to the old man hustle and it's packed with all these writers and artists and you know, who've been around for, for years. So when I went up and did the poem, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't want to just recite it like a poet, like a typical poet. So I, I would sing the verse in between and snap my fingers and that caught people's attention. And every time I recite that poem, it gets people's attention. And so that one definitely is up there for me as the top one of the poem, not only that I, I recite, but the one people always tell me about. And then there's one called um, Ink Stains. And Ink Stains is a, I wrote that, there was a period between 2013 and 15 where I just wrote every single day. And I would write, I would write at bars, of course. Um, just write on cocktail napkins. If I had a journal, I'd write on a journal, you know go home wasted you'd wake up had no idea what happened what you wrote but i would always find these little cocktail napkins of poems i'd write or these long draft like long pages from paper towel rolls or whatever so there was a, a long like those years where i was just writing nonstop, where i wrote most, most of the poetry books are written but ink stains i was one of my a big one for me because it was like i think the last time we had a bad snow year in like 2014 and you know I, I live in a little studio there's no good lighting you know the winter can be tough for people you, know, you get seasonal depression and I wrote ink stains is um the 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 verse the introduction of the verse is uh, I have uh, two tabs open forgot to eat the studio has no lightings and it smells like cigarettes but I don't smoke you know, and that's pretty much a poem about alcohol and depression. So you, you, know, have, so you, have, you have kind of a, a seasonal thing then, I guess, so you talk about like, like if it rains or so the weather kind of affects like how you feel? I, wouldn't, I guess you could say that. I mean, that because it was really cold, you know, so like, and it lasted so long. But like that, that hit, that struck a chord with me because I, I noticed that was my, my habit was... I'm going to this bar and then I'm going to keep my tab open. I'm going to another bar and I'm going to keep my tab open. I'm going to go home and sleep out, sleep it out and do the same thing, but it's fucking cold out. And, you know, I just wrote about that experience and that, you know, and how kind of mentally unhealthy it was. But when I wrote that, that got a lot of, a lot of people like, you know, enjoyed it. And then there was a, Nowhere Else to Go, which is about New York, how much I love New York, but I have nowhere, I feel like there's nowhere else for me to go, you know, and when, when that one starts, the intro to that is like, New York, I have nowhere else to go, like New York, I have nowhere else to be a, a working stiff and a late night drinker, you know, 
Do you remember that one time, New York, when I died in Brooklyn? It's just, you know, or New York, we are survivors. You know, and that mentality of, survive, of surviving, especially in a city like this, especially in times like this, you know, yeah. something like that could be very inspirational. I mean, I, I, I get judged a lot too, don't get me wrong. I mean, every artist is gonna have some sort of negative kind of um, feedback, which is good. You know, um, I've had people complain that, you know, your writing's too much about drinking. But the thing is, well, it kind of helps, you know, it's, but it's not always about that. I have love poems that I've written that mean a lot to me. There's criticism and then there's just straight up judgment on, on what you write, negativity. And like I said, people are like, oh, well, it's too depressing or it's too, you know, the subjects are too much of that of alcoholism or depression. It's like, well, yeah, what do you think inspire? It's not that it inspires me. It's I do it because that's what I'm letting out. And it's not that I'm trying to depress them. I feel like it's always, it's good to, for people who have any kind of mental health issues, at least they can know there's someone there for them. If you read my, my poems, there's, there's always going to be a positive note to it. You know, even if they're, even like the loved ones that I have. Yeah, it's kind of like what you said before, like uh, it, you think, someone's you think you're crazy then you find someone else is more crazy it's like someone could read that and like not they could be thinking like i'm the only one who goes through these feelings right i'm the only one who has the experiences but then they read one of your poems and then they realize you know they're not so unusual there's other people that exactly i mean things. i think it's important to inspire people to not be so down on what's whatever's going on in their life to know there's someone out there who's going through it too. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm writing about it. And I just don't want that to be like a stereotype. Like for example, everyone loves Charles Bukowski. I do not. And I've, I remember I've had people pretty much almost throw drinks at my face <laughs> because I don't like Bukowski. And the reason I don't, I like his quotes, but when you read his poems, it's like, it's like what he did for the day. There's nothing poetic about it. I woke up today and drank a bottle of wine. <laughs> and I got in my car and saw a plastic girl and masturbated. And then went to the horse track and lost money. <laughs> I mean, that's not poetry to me. That's a boring day for a man. But for some reason, people fucking love it. Well, I guess he was kind of like an anti, an anti-poet in a way. That, that that was like the thing. Like, a, I guess that was kind of like his signature. Like his poems were just kind of like basic. But he did write that one thing about like, so you want to be a writer, which I really liked. I think that was my favorite poem I read by him. And I liked uh, Post Office. His Post Office, not, I, yeah, that's good. Um, but he was also he's also post of that when was going on with the American writers at the time. You know, he wasn't like part of the East Coast scene or, or the, the San Francisco uh, writer's renaissance. You know, he was either he was, he was too busy traveling or too busy living his life out in LA. But he also started out at, late at an age when it came to poetry and stuff like that. But even though I don't like his writing, doesn't mean I, I, I don't respect him. But it's all booze. Yeah, that's all it is, you know. And you can say that about my working, but I think it's beyond that. 
Yeah, that's why I thought like maybe yeah, that's why I thought it was interesting. You said you didn't like Bukowski because you said that you write a lot about booze, and I thought, oh, maybe you were inspired by him, but then you said you didn't like him too much. So. No, and people people really get shocked by that. I mean, but you know, one of my favorite writer, my favorite poets, really, it's, it's Jack Kerouac. Oh, really? like and, uh, on the road, or uh, that's the only thing I've read by him. But. Oh, it's great. No, his poetry is good. Uh, poems of all sizes. My favorite poem he's ever written is uh, Mexico City Loneliness. It's such a great, great poem. It's, you can totally relate with what this guy was going through. And again, he was, you know, shit. Who knows how much he drank? I mean, that's what killed him. But I feel all writers have that kind of sense. There's something about mental health issues and substance abuse that just draws them to that like Ernest Hemingway, you know, like my favorite poet, Alejandro Pizarnik, you know, from, from um, Argentina. For some reason, I mean, there's just that, that sense of, it just goes hand in hand, unfortunately. You like know kinda, what I mean? Kind of using it as a catharsis poetry, you mean? In a way, as, as, as it's a vice, you know? It's like, it's like one of my poems, it's called Depression, and it's, it's just, it's just, it's small. It's just depression kills, as do all my vices. You know, we all have vices, whether it's drinking, whether it's smoking, cocaine, heroin addiction, sex, you know, video games. You know, it's like we all have a vice, you know. Just use, try to use that vice and find ways to use it for art, I guess is what you can say. Yeah, like in, in, in ways that don't destroy you like using your negative yeah your yeah. negative your demons for something positive yeah exactly 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 you know like i mean that's the way i see it that but that's me i mean i've been called out on stage once which i thought was amazing i really did i was at a it was the beginning of uh two, it was may it was january 1st six, 2016 and i went to a poetry reading at the new Yorican which is a great place. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's in the East Village or Alphabet City. Uh, I don't and, think so. Yeah. Oh, it's great. They, every Wednesday they have poetry. You know, it's, it's a oh, great nice. place. Ginsburg used to read there. But anyways, um, I went. They had an open mic thing. And I went, a friend, of, someone I knew at the time convinced me to go there. And I was like, okay, it's New Year's Day. I have nothing else better to do. And so I, I go. And then I recited Bellevue Blues because that's the one that, you know, it's more than just a poem. It's, it's a, it's, there's theater to it. I'm acting for it, you know, I'm trying to put passion in it. And, you know, I got a good response. People were like, oh, it was great. And then this one poet, I wish I remember her name. And she showed up with a binder as if she was like uh, in high school. It was like one of those binders and all these poems in there. And she was like, I don't know who this fail guy thinks he is, but, but he doesn't know anything about Bellevue. Younger tell him what Bellevue's like and so she was flipping through pages and she was like aha and then and she, she and she read the poem and people kind of looked at me like wow that kind of sucked like why did she do that and I I applauded her I stood up I gave her my own standing ovation because I was like you don't even know me but I, I'm glad you did it and so as I was leaving we were leaving for you know the show was over it's time to go I didn't want to mingle and so I, I saw her sitting and I went up to her. I was like, excuse me, I don't know you, but my name is Fayo. And I'm really I'm honored that you called me out on, on stage, that you took the time to 
have to be so angry with someone you didn't know about a poem that it, I, it, I find it really honored because if, if it makes you upset that badly, that means I'm doing something right. So happy new year and go fuck yourself. <laughs> and, as, and as we're leaving, she, she's I'm walking down 4th Street towards B and she, you can hear her just screaming at me, Fayo, fuck you, Fayo. <laughs> that was my favorite moment. It was yeah. a great moment. <laughs> So, so she just took the 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 poem personally, is what you're saying? I guess, yeah. I guess so. I guess so. But it was great. I like that. That that was, you know, I like it. If if people were that upset, that means you're doing something right. Yeah. Well, it's it's good that she like that she cared that much about your work. So I see right. what you mean. Yeah. Well, I I, I just I, I enjoy the fact. I mean, for me, I, I I'm not gonna lie. I get a kick out of people who are like, oh, fails writing is crap. What's the point? Don't fucking bother. I, 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 I kind of like, I get a thrill off that because that's what people told me about the Velvet Underground. And so I went and read it or heard it and said, these guys are fucking wrong. But then again, there is that, that part when you get that criticism where you're like, wow, from, especially when it's a, a fellow writer of yours where you're like, wow, that kind of sucked. You know, like it can get to you, but sometimes I like the, uh, that kind of if someone's gonna think about your work so much or you to the point where it's that they just for me that's just i'm doing something right you're you're, you're doing your job <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah and i guess you don't really grow as a writer or any kind of artist if you can't if you can't take criticism right exactly some kind of people someone not liking your stuff it's like it's like it's like when you receive that criticism or that negativity, then that's almost like a way you can kind of like that's an opportunity to kind of strengthen yourself. Exactly. I mean, we're all going to get criticized for for something, be it writing, being whatever you do as work, being a, even being yourself. You know, you're always going to have that. That's that. It comes with the territory of not just being an artist, but in, in life. You know, yeah. people go to work, they have good jobs, but nothing's ever perfect for their bosses. Or, you know, you you work in the bar, you bar back. The, the, either the customer's never happy with you, or as a bar back, you're never fast enough. Or, you know, it's just, this, there's, this world's not perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like either you, you like lock yourself in a room and don't do anything, or you, you deal with criticism. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Funny, I was talking to a friend of mine today, Dave Michalowski. He's a writer too. He's actually done work for the New York Times and stuff like that. And we were kind of talking about how it's weird these days. For for anyone can be an artist now. Anyone can be a writer because of blogs. Anyone can be famous because of Instagram and all that. Very rarely do you see people with books. Like I went to the beach yesterday and I I had a, a Hemingway book on me and I looked around and everyone's on their phones. And I'm not going to lie. I'm on, I get on my phone a lot, but it's like, it's, there's, where, where's that, you know, that I want to read something, that sense of having something physical on you. Yeah. And then the writer starting off that you, you're always going to have, you're going to get criticism and you're going to get, you never know when you're going to make it. You know, I've been rejected 
and I spoke to him about, I talked to Dave about all the time. I've been rejected so many times where it's, it kind of makes you want to give up. But when you, when I post poems and people who I've never even met enjoy it, I mean, even being invited to your show about it, it's an honor for me because at least some, someone is out there paying attention. And then sometimes I tell myself if it gets published, you know, it's poetry. It's not really going to go anywhere. But at the same time, it would be kind of cool. Instead of, you know, instead of saying, oh, I'm a laborer. Oh, I'm a writer. Yeah, and I guess people, like, don't, don't uh, like, people don't read published poetry as often now, I guess, as they used to. That's what you're saying. So, like, I, I don't know if there's really, like, so there's not as many famous poets coming out now. Probably. And not, not that I know of, to be honest with you. I mean, the besides the, the, the poets of the past, I mean, my favorite poets are people that I know personally. You know, David Masalski, um, Erica Duchensky, um, Bobby Mother Rockstar from the West Village, um, Claire Trivienne from, she's based from France and, and England. Um, as, as in people who not only just write but are great as photography, Alice Mark Alice Maria from France. Um, these are people that I know. You know, Danny Robinson from England, amazing writer, an amazing poet. Just her work is is astounding to me. You have Justin Booth, is based out of um, down south. He's an amazing writer. Um, but you know, there's these are people that you kind of either you know personally, you know. And, and some of them have their work out there. Some of them don't. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of these people do deserve it. I think somebody like Mother Rockstar of the West Village deserves to have her books out there. She has character. She has. She has a way to draw you. She can walk up to a small group of people in the street and recite a poem, and before you know it, they're she sees them and they want more. There's, there's artists like Erica Tuchensky, who I, I feel is an amazing, not only just writer, but art, but artist, an amazing artist, whatever it is, paintings, writing, music, perhaps. These people need to be discovered. People like Jimmy Wellaby, of course, is a great, he's a Swedish um, uh, poet, but you know, it's, 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 I feel like these, this should be out now. There's, there's hundreds of people you can, you can say deserve that should get published, should get recognition. But unfortunately in this society, it's, it's people, it's about blogs. It's about discussing the movie you saw on YouTube or what's new in fashion. Yeah. It's kind of been dumbed down. I mean, there's still great writers out there. Another one of my favorite writers is TJ English, and he's a crime investigative writer, but his writing is, his, his writings are so great, you know? But it's, I just remember the last time someone talked about, oh, you gotta, get, you gotta get this poem, or you gotta read this guy's stuff, it's so good, or her stuff, it's so good. You know, it's, who knows when that's, especially nowadays, you know? My, Kyle Void is a great writer, you know? A uh, great poet, um, th but this is all New York, you know, the New York scene. Yeah, of poets, it's, it's not as it's big, it's small but big at the same time, but it's all separated. 
Yeah, the only like super famous poets I see now are like people who do kind of visual poetry or spoken word and then they do it on either TED Talks or they have like a YouTube channel. It's not like people don't read it. It's not like written and people read it as much. And then there's, of course, like the best selling authors that are interviewed on like Oprah or like some other show right, exactly. or, or NPR sometimes interviews some writers that have put out books. But usually that's political books. Yeah, NPR yeah. definitely has a political type of when it comes to that, where I, I try to avoid politics as much as possible. It's, I'm very apolitical. You know, there's nothing about my, my writing or that, that's, that has any form of politics. Yeah, and, and what's your view about like audiobooks or iBooks, like are people reading on their phone? Is that, do you think that's not the same as having like a physical copy of the book? Um, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I've, nev I've never heard an, an audiobook ever. When I see people with Kindles, I mean, at, at least they're, they're reading, that's cool. Um, I'm still very back to just having a hardcover or paperback. I just, I just, that's just, I enjoy it. I prefer it that way, you know, and it, my eyes don't get strained as much. But, um, like, yeah, audio book, I've, I've never really had the chance to, I don't know which one I would want to hear. Because I think it's, for me, when I'm reading a book, that's a whole new world that I'm entering. So the, the characters kind of develop their own voices in my head. So if I was to hear someone else do it, it would kind of be different for me, you know? Yeah, yeah, certainly like for a fiction kind of thing, it wouldn't work. I, I feel like audiobooks, like, if it's like some kind of like, maybe like either a self-development book or like nonfiction book, like, like I can enjoy an audiobook, but for a fiction book, I kind of want to read like the physical copy or, I mean, sometimes I'll read iBooks, but usually I like the, I mean, it, I guess they, they, they all have their advantages and disadvantages. Like, I, like it's, it's easier to carry like an iBook with you and read it wherever, but a physical book also, you have like more of a connection with it. Exactly. Kind of like owning a record or a CD has exactly. a personal connection to music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, which, I, but it's also, sa it saves a lot of space because I have, so many books in my apartment that's like when i'm when i moved when i moved to my own place years ago the heaviest things i had were my out my records my cds and my books and i still that's my joy is when i find a box of books you know i'm always gonna grab them yeah and you i know? guess that's why a lot of people find it more convenient just to have it everything on your phone like books music all that <laughs> yeah because you can download hundreds of them you know and yeah. which you know in five minutes you can download a, a and a record, you know, or an, or a novel, where I enjoy the going to a bookstore and actually, that's how you find different other writers as well. I feel, you know. Yeah, and well, and the same with with uh, music too. Like you, you just kind of like drawn to this album, or that album that you wouldn't necessarily have discovered otherwise. Right. It's I have I. It's crazy. I have so many copies of the first Velvet Underground album i have um the cd one i've had since i was 16 i probably have to buy a new one now that i think about it because i've heard it so much i have a vinyl where it's a yellow marbled colored uh record and then during the pandemic around may i went walking around with my friend 
and someone had a box of records they were throwing out and they had the first Velvet Underground record, which is, I don't know how people can just throw something like that away, but um, that's, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and co I have a lot of copies of On the Road too. I have like the actual one that was released. I have like the ones that were released in the 50s. I have uh, the scroll version, which is the actual scroll. Oh, wow. Because yeah, you wrote everything on one sheet. That was a Kerouac's yeah. thing, right? Like, yeah. 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 I, I think it took him um, seven weeks to write that. Yeah. Oh, wow. He was in a diet of uh, coffee and pea soup. And in, in his room, when he was typing it, he built like a little kind of like cubicle made out of clothes and he just taped all the paper together and then typed it all in one. And I, they've done it with others, I heard, but that's the more popular, which is a very interesting way of, of writing something, to, to write a novel, I feel. Yeah, I guess just like kind of like a stream of consciousness. Yes. Yeah. Was, he was a narrative writer, so, you know, he, he wrote the way when you read on the road it's you can tell that this guy was when he was writing this he was like trying to memorize everything everything that had that he had experienced but he, he didn't want to lose touch of it and the way he wrote it i felt was so fast that he didn't want to leave anything out of it yeah. where, where would you like to go in the future with your writing um publication publishing publishing would be great um i'm I am working, I've been working on a novel. It's been, it's been uh, about two years. I've been, well, a year really that I started writing into it, but it's just so hard to get motivation. You'd figure because of the shutdown, I would, I would have written more, but I actually had, I haven't. I've been so lazy about it, but uh, I'd like to get these, uh, my novels out really, and my poetry books, finish this novel, hopefully get that published finish the second hopefully get that published hopefully get some more poetry hopefully get my because i've written books they're just not pub poetry books they're just not published um but yeah just uh, i would like to have be published some and i would honestly i would like to do it professionally you know be a writer as a professional writer so um, I, I, my, a dream of mine is to um, move to, to Paris, to live in Paris and just live my life as a writer. Oh, is, it, is there a big scene for that there? Is there more? Well, it's funny. Is it just, you just like of, the appeal of Paris? The appeal, because I've never been, but I dream of Paris a lot. I have a lot of, I have a lot of poems about Paris. Um, I have some, there's some people in Paris that actually do like my writing. Uh, there was one of my poems, Ink Stains, actually, that was, the first time I was ever I was ever had anything published was a poem of mine. And this was a French zine of poems, and I didn't. I'm like an idiot. I didn't ask for money, and I never got my copy of the magazine. <laughs> but they, but they, they, they you know, I, I, it's just the appeal of romanticism. Like uh, Henry Miller, I think was one that he was in Paris. Right, that was where he was. Yeah, and and uh, of course Ernest Hemingway. You know. Movable Feast, such a love, such a great novel. Yeah, and you said people compare. I thought you, I saw a post where you said like people compared have compared your writing to Ernest Hemingway. No, that was no. I, I I that was me. His chapters are so short, which is kind of like 
for my novel it's kind of the same style where i i write short like my poems some of them are short some of them are long with, with this novel i'm writing it's called it's like you know the titles aren't that the, the, the chapters aren't that long so neither were were hemingways which i noticed that because i've been rereading a lot of his work but it, i cannot compare it to him because that guy you know was ahead of a completely a genius as a writer but even though his chapters were short the, the novels were still very long you know yeah like he had a lot to say but in a short and a fast way of doing it as a chapter it's as yeah. if, if like if i went to the pub and i had a conversation with somebody and then i went home wrote about it and then that was it the next day would be the second chapter i guess yeah, then he and then he had his uh, his short his uh, his short stories too. I was just remembering that because you were talking about like bar going to the bars a lot. I was just remembering the uh, a clean, well lighted place where he thought where it was the the old man drinking at the bar and all that. I remember yeah. I liked that one a lot. The... His, my favorite book, short stories by him, is uh, Men Without Women. Okay, yeah, a, uh, very. That's a good one. Good one. There's another, Fitzgerald has this book that I like. It's called On Booze, which is his writing on, on while he drinks. And it's, it's like, you, you still sound like you're like an, like an intellect, but you're drunk. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like if uh, the characters of Fraser and Niles Crane were drunk, but writing in, the, in their vocabulary, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, at least. So, so you have other favorite, you have drunks you prefer over Bukowski drunk, I guess. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say drunks, but writers, yeah. you know, <laughs> writers. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I, who idolizes alcoholics? I think that's the last thing you want to be idolized as. Oh, you think, you think some writers kind of romanticize it a bit maybe? Or? Oh, yeah, I mean, with the romanticism of it, you know, I, I guess you could see that, yeah. I mean, but there's also writers who didn't really bring up uh, what their substance abuse problems, I guess. I guess, is there any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to add? I just want everybody to stay safe because of what's going on. Um, you said you haven't been back in the city, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, New Jersey, but like close to the city. Right. So, no, just yeah. everyone stay, stay safe. I mean, it's tough times, I hope. Who knows when things will get back to normal? Hopefully, we'll be working again and being social again. And I mean, we'll see. Yeah. So I can really say, just just want everyone to stay healthy. You know? Yeah, and, and read, and maybe uh, it's also a good time for people to do more reading and all that. So. Yeah, reading. Try to be more artistic. Try to find that art. But art, especially if you never, if you didn't know anything about it, like I, like I said, I, I, the first two months I was painting, but I've never had an interest in it. And I only, I did some paintings and I stopped, but like I would like to get back into it. Photography, I'm also really into photography. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that on your pit. We didn't really get into too much of that, but you know, we, we, uh, we sometimes I have, you know, who knows? Maybe sometimes I have returning guests. Maybe we could go ahead and get into that in another. Oh yeah, I mean, if anyone's interested in my photography, I mean, I have an Instagram, uh, Feo and uh, Feo NYC. Yeah. 
like New York landscapes is it seems yeah. to be more like buildings and yeah I have a, I have a, I have a thing about it it's just I, when I see something I have to take a picture here yeah yeah if you're interested uh, uh Fayo NYC on Instagram I'm trying to put more photos on and if if, if anyone's interested in like poetry I, uh, you, you can always contact me via email fayonyc at gmail.com so that's how a lot of people get my my little my poems of book my books of poems all right cool well uh yeah thanks for coming on man it was no uh, thanks for having me this this was really cool this was really great yeah definitely yeah good to catch up and all that and uh yeah i look forward to like more of your work and all thank that. you thank you yeah you'll definitely you'll definitely i'll definitely keep you posted on that and hopefully you can you can come out to autos on a thursday yeah yeah definitely like once uh i guess like more of this stuff like uh opens up or whatever right no it's fun to... it's yeah. a lot of fun check it out Thank you for listening to BSing with Sean K on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Sean K, Sean Neese, and that was my interview with Jeff Fio Eliskas. We covered a lot of territory. Uh, we talked about his writing. He's uh, kind of a prose spoken word poet that gets very personal, talks about mental health. Once again, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Your support keeps this station going. And if you like listening to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, I know a lot of us are always on the go, even during COVID. You know, I've actually been pretty busy here in New Jersey. But please download our Radio Free Brooklyn mobile app from the iPhone store, the app store for the iPhone or the Google Play store for the Android and also subscribe to our newsletter, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash newsletter. And if you want to donate to help with COVID and everything else, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate, and you'll find a bunch of merch. You can also use your phone to text RFB Give 5 that's the number 5, to 44321. It only takes a moment, and you'll be able to use your digital wallet for your donation. And if you go to Amazon Smile, Amazon.com slash smile, and register Radio Free Brooklyn as the nonprofit you wish to support, uh, you can get a percent a percentage of your sales will go to Radio Free Brooklyn and it will cost you nothing. I am here on Radio Free Brooklyn Mondays 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'm also on Spotify, iTunes, and RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. And that's about it for this week's episode. I'll catch you on the next. Be-essing.